So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life that we might be people of life. Now, God, hide me behind your cross, that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Those of you who are here in person, I don't know if you actually caught what... I have no idea what Amy was trying to say. Did you guys catch that glance that she shot me whenever you were talking about... Uh, I'm not even sure which part of that scripture she was. That's why I don't like to have a her uh, reading scripture for us, I think. I I'm, not, I'm not sure. So we've got some, uh, some talking to do when we get, when we get home. Year, years ago, I had a woman um, come into my office, and she plopped down in the chair and, uh, across my desk, and she said, uh, I'm done. I am, I am done with my marriage. I'm done. I can't, I can't do it any longer. I, I knew a little bit about this family. I had watched them from afar. The, uh, the, the wife, she attended church. The husband did not. The children did not. At that time, they, uh, both of the children had just, graduated, had just graduated high school, and so they were out of the home. And so I began to ask her what, what was going on. And she said, I, I can't take it. I can't take it any longer. She said, we have, not just have we grown apart, not just are we, are we two people who happen to be raising the same kids, now our kids are out of the house, and we have nothing, absolutely nothing in common. She said, one of the mistakes that we made when, I, when our children were small, um, they had a girl and they had a boy, uh, the, the, the mom took the girl and she took the girl to go to dance and that she took the girl to go to a cheerleading practice and she took the girl to go to all of the things that, that the daughter was involved with and then the dad uh, took the boy and he took him to baseball practice and basketball practice and football practice and was with him at their ball games and so the mom and dad, they were always separated because, again, she would take the girl and he would take the boy. And, and so then when the kids grew and got to be older and eventually left the house, they had nothing in common. I also knew other things that were going on in this family. I, I, had, heard, I had heard the rumors around town. I had heard the rumors around town that uh, he had had multiple girlfriends. A husband had had multiple girlfriends all around town. This was a this was a small town. And so I talked with her about 
you know, maybe getting some marriage counseling and maybe, and she was not, she was not open to it at all. She said, no, it's, I mean, this, this marriage has been dead for 20 years. I mean, it's been a long time coming, she said. I did what I could, as a young, especially as a young pastor, being young myself at that time. And so I prayed for her and sent her on her way. It was a couple of months later that I had heard that they were getting a divorce. She was still attending church sporadically. I had heard that they were getting a divorce for, you see, she had decided that um, turnabout was fair play. And so she made sure that uh, her husband would come home and would catch her and her new boyfriend in their home. And certainly that ended, ended that marriage. That was my first experience as a pastor with the deep, deep brokenness that so many of us experience in families. I, I, I jokingly alluded to it earlier, but I, I come from a, a wonderfully strong family. Wonderfully strong family. Um, my grandparents had a wonderful relationship. My parents have a wonderful relationship. My siblings are all just, just incredible people, all faithful Christians, and we have, we have a wonderful, wonderful relationship. Uh, my family, my, my wife, in spite of the glances that she gives when, I'm, when she's reading Scripture for me, in spite of those kinds of things, we have a, we have a wonderful, wonderful relationship. We have a good relationship with our, with our two adult children, but we also recognize that in some sense, every, in every single family, there is, there is, there is some sort of, of dysfunction, some sort of dysfunction. I, I, I will be fascinated in a decade for historians to look back and, and sociologists to look back on what effect the pandemic has had on families. I'll, I'll be fascinated to see if, if chronic issues become, have become acute issues in families, meaning, meaning these, these things that are, that are really just dysfunctions in family and are always kind of beneath the surface, if they, become, uh, if they have become acute during this pandemic, meaning if they have come to the surface, I wonder if there are going to be uh, more more child abuse during this time. I wonder if there's going to be if there's if there has been more divorces that have occurred. I wonder if there have been more estrangements during this time. I don't know. I have no idea. I I mean, it, it may be it may be that being stuck at home with your spouse for ten months it may be that it's a bad thing or it may be that it's a good thing. I have no idea. I, I only only history will be able to tell us whether what kind of impact that this pandemic has had on our, on our families. But when there is dysfunction in a family, especially whenever there is acute dysfunction in the family, meaning whenever it comes to the surface, there are no easy answers. There just simply are no, there are no easy answers. There are no easy answers when those who are supposed to love you, who have promised to love you, who have to love you, there are no easy answers when they don't show you love. There are, there are no easy answers when a spouse ends a marriage. There's, there's no easy answers whenever a parent acts more like a child 
than a parent. There are no easy answers when an adult child never grows, outgrows the teenage years. There are, there are no easy answers whenever grandparents play favorites. There are no easy answers whenever grandparents hold on to beliefs from the, from the past, especially in relation to race issues. Now, certainly there are easy answers that are offered. Well, you married the wrong person. Or, well, you, you're paying for your raisin. Well, spotted dogs have spotted pups. I'm not sure if you've heard that one. Well, you know, sometimes you just kind of have to take what's given to you. Well, you know, that's just granddad. We're continuing our series and dealing with these topics where there are no easy answers. Oftentimes, when there are no easy answers, there are trite answers and, 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 and answers that seem to be easy, but they aren't, they, aren't, they aren't the truth at all. They aren't the truth at all. When there are no easy answers, oftentimes what we find is that when there are real answers, they are very difficult answers. They're difficult answers. It's, it, it, life is not easy, especially in dealing with the things that we've been talking about. There are no easy answers whenever, whenever success turns, turns sour and, and we, began to, we, we, began to find, we began to experience failure in our lives. There, there are no easy answers. There are no easy answers when, when prayers aren't answered. There are no easy answers when the, when the church sometimes disappoints. And today we're looking at when there's no easy answers, when an umpire is needed inside the home, when you need when you need someone that will come and and send you both to your corners, <laughs> they, they they'll call a timeout. They'll they'll give someone a technical. They'll they'll put them in timeout. They'll they'll kick them out of the game for a while. Someone that needs to come in maybe and just just call for a little bit of civility. There are no easy answers whenever that happens in the life of a family because it's not supposed to happen. Again, our family members are the are the they're the they're the one group of people that have to love us, don't they? And when they don't love us, oh, it causes so much heartache. So much heartache. In our passage of scripture today, Paul here is talking about the new life that, that believers are supposed to live, are called, are called to live, must live. This is how Christians must live, Paul says. And we often live out that kind of life, this kind of life that, that Paul has just described. We live out that life in public, maybe, maybe even in our own work life, maybe even in our friendship life, but we often struggle with this in our home life or in our own family life. I have, to, I have to confess something today that I know as, as, a, as a dad and as a husband that my public persona as a pastor sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, and there have been seasons in my life that, that basically daily that my public life did not match my private life. I wasn't as loving as I should have been to my children. I sometimes was hateful. I mean, granted, I mean they were teenagers. I mean, we all we know we know how that we know how that goes. But still, 
I mean, so, so there were times that, that, that I was living out these kinds of things in my public life, in my work life, in life with my friends, but there were times in the family's life that I wasn't, I wasn't living out these things that Paul was talking about, about believers and how, how we must act with one another. Every wedding that I perform, and I've, I, I don't remember, it's over 50 weddings that I have that I have performed over, over the years, one of the, one of the prayers that I always pray over the couple is that I ask that their, their, their household would be a haven of blessing and peace. I, I, love, that, I love that wording uh, that our United Methodist Book of Worship gives us pastors in presiding over a, a wedding. May their household be a haven of blessing and peace. But I find that so often, instead of our households being a haven of blessing and peace, they've become dens of cursings and chaos. Instead of being the places where, where love is experienced, they become places where put-downs and conflict and, and survival of the fittest occurs. I, I think it would do us well. It would do us well to be reminded of, of what Paul tells us as believers, how we are to treat one another. And again, oftentimes we will do that out in public, but when we get at home, we are a whole, we're a whole different person when it comes to our family. Paul tells us that we are called to speak the truth, to speak the truth, to speak the truth in love, I think he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbors, for we are members one of another. Notice, notice that Paul here does not say, speak your truth. That's, a, that's, some, that's some phraseology that has uh, arisen over, over the last few years anyway. You know, you're just supposed to speak your truth. You know, there's no such thing as your truth and my truth. There is the truth. No matter our perspective, no matter our own beliefs, there are some things that are the truth. The truth. And Paul says that we are called to, to speak the truth. Even in conflict. At, at times we may feel that it is, that it is less painful to just, uh, to just say nothing or to, to run or hide whenever there is conflict. In conflict, speak the truth, Paul says. Oftentimes when we are conflict averse, we will just simply ignore the conflict. We will run from the conflict. We will hide from the conflict. However, avoidance never solves any problems. It normally just increases the intensity of the conflict and the pain. A parent who, who, who smiles unwillingly or a, a, who smiles to their unruly son and says, well, he's just a typical little boy, they are not helping that child. They are not helping that child at all. They are hurting that child. The wife or husband who simply attributes their spouse's chronic complaining to a heavy workload schedule is doing that spouse no favor whatsoever. When we when we, when we uh, brush things under the rug, what happens, or whenever, I mean, to mix metaphors here, when we keep stuffing things in the closet, in our emotional closet, what happens is that those things in that emotional closet that we refuse to talk about, we just stuff it away in that closet, those things are going to come out one way or another. 
And oftentimes when they come out one way or another, they come out in, in, at inappropriate times and in inappropriate manners. That's what happens when we avoid speaking the truth. When we avoid talking about the dysfunction and the real issues in our families, we just stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff until finally there's an explosion. And oftentimes those explosions happen whenever there's a crisis in the family. Say, oh, I don't know, a global pandemic, the, the, the death of a, of a parent, the death of a child, and uh, some sort of untimely death. I mean, when stress levels get rise, that stuff in our emotional closets are going to come out. We must deal with these things. We must speak. We must, we must speak. But we must also, again, speak the truth. Again, it's not just your truth or my truth. We must speak the truth. We, we, to, 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 we, we must... We must speak the, the truth about the matter, again, from, from our point of view, again. again and, and that's different than speaking my truth, but we must speak the truth from, from our point of view. Rather than pointing the accusing finger, it is better to approach the, the, the other person simply explaining how, how we feel. It's, it sounds something like this. You know, when you don't come home from work, I, I feel like you are avoiding me. When you don't come home from work. When, when you give me an, an early curfew, teenagers, when you give me an early curfew, I feel like I'm missing out on funds with my friends. I, I feel like you don't trust me. While our accusations make others defensive, explaining our feelings oftentimes will open the doors to conversation and resolution in relationships. Paul tells, tells us that we are called to, to, speak, to speak the truth. He continues, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Paul warns us, Paul warns us uh, that there is some anger that is sinful, but there is some anger that is not sinful, is what the implication is. Being angry is not a sin. Being angry is an emotion. It's an emotion. There are some things that make us angry. Now, the reasons for that anger, there may be sin in that anger. There may be feelings. There may be, there may be selfishness. There may be other kinds of things going on behind, uh, underneath the surface that cause us to have those emotions. But the emotion of anger is not sinful at all. But Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. There's a way to not sin in your anger. Paul warns us to, uh, that, that, we are, that, that our righteous anger uh, sometimes can become, even our righteous anger can sometimes become sinful. Well, it, I mean, our anger becomes sinful when our, when our anger turns to resentment and uh, hostility and hatred and bitterness and revenge and violence. Someone once said that anger is like a fire. It finally dies out, but, but only after having left a path of destruction. Paul warns that we should not let the sun go down in our anger. Don't go to bed while you are still angry. It's one of the, one of the lessons and really one of, the, uh, one of the things that my family and I have tried to do. If there was a conflict throughout the day, 
Even, even when my kids were teenagers, <laughs> oh, those difficult teenage years, even when I was failing so often as a dad, uh, even as, again, my, when my public persona did not match up with my, my family uh, persona and my role in the family, um, I made sure that if there was anger in between me and, and one of my children or my, my wife and I, um, we made sure that we dealt with it before we went to bed. Whether it was, whether it was reconciliation that needed to, to occur, whether it was a, just a quick, hey, um, how you doing tonight? You know, I know we've had some words today. We okay? I mean, that, that was, I, I think, I mean, again, I made a lot of mistakes. I've made a lot of mistakes as a husband and as a, and as a dad, uh, but that was one that we have always tried, we have always tried to, um, always tried to follow. Being angry when you are, being angry for extended periods of times will absolutely eat you alive. I've, I've seen it with families so often. So often, this, this couple that I was uh, talking about before, I mean, there was such resentment there that had been building up for over 20 years, and she hated him so much that she went and got her a boyfriend too. How broken is that? How broken is that? There was anger. I mean, there was vitriolic anger there that had never been dealt with. Never been dealt with. Going to angry, going to bed angry, you're not going to sleep. It's going to make matters worse. You'll, you'll, become, you'll begin to become bitter and twisted. Minimize the destruction anger causes by, by dealing with a cause as soon as possible. Get to the root cause of why you are angry with that family member. What is that resentment that you have been carrying around? Is it because they make you, make you feel smaller than you are? Is it because you feel belittled when you are around them? Is it because you feel like they are not really valuing you? What, what, what's the reason for that anger? Anger must not allow, be allowed to control us. We need to deal with it and, and work through it quickly so that reconciliation can, can begin. Paul continues in verse 20, 29, Do not let corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. We are called to build one another build one another up. Paul says we are to put off unwholesome talk. Oh, that's what you, that's what you glanced over at me at. Okay. All right. We'll have some more to talk about later. So this is the talk that, that destroys, that, that tears down, which harms. Instead of this, Paul says we need to say things that will, that will build one another up. Children, you remember the old, I mean, you remember the old, um, kind of quote or song, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It couldn't be more wrong. Couldn't be more wrong. I mean, we teach, we teach our children that way because, well, children are mean oftentimes, and, and sometimes they get their feelings hurt so easily, and so we're trying to toughen our, our kids up sometimes. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the, the words that have been spoken to me, they, they cut so much more deeply than anything that someone could do to my body. Words really do matter. Words really do matter. 
Dog trainers say that you are to give a dog. A dog needs seven attaboys for every one bad dog. That's what dog trainers say. We're, 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 we're caught, I mean, we're supposed to, you know, tell our, tell our dogs, oh, attaboy, attaboy, who's a good boy? We're supposed to do that seven times for every time we say, bad dog. Oh, oh, if we would only carry that into our family. Oh, if we, oh, if we, would, we, would, we would only treat our family members the exact same way, speaking words of grace and love and building one another one another up rather than tearing one another down. That's what we're called to do and to be in the family. We're called to 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 quit reminding quit reminding others of their failures, but instead reminding others of how lovable they are, whether they're lovable or not, but reminding them who they are in the eyes and in the sight of God. Finally, Paul tells us we are to forgive one another. Maybe you've noticed this in my time here. Forgiveness is likely the thing that I speak about more than anything else. I don't know if you've noticed that. I've said this multiple, multiple times in my time here. Forgiving others does not mean forgiving. I mean, forgiveness does not mean forgetting. That's sometimes what they say. Well, just forgive and forget. You know, there are some things that people have said to us, some things that people have done to us that no matter how hard we try, no amount of counseling can even help us to forget that. What they did to us, what they said about us was so vile, so often, no matter how hard we try to forget it, we can't forget it. So forgiving is not necessarily forgetting. Forgiving also is not necessarily saying, well, you know, it's okay. Because it wasn't okay what they said to you or what they did to you. It wasn't okay. Forgiveness simply is this, giving up the right to get even. The Old Testament teaches us that, um, well, the, the law is that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I mean, it was a call for civility. It was a call to end escalating violence. I mean, the, 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 the law of the, I mean, the, the, the uncivilized is that, you know, if somebody knocks out my tooth, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut off their arm. They cut off my arm, I'm going to kill them. I mean, it's escalating violence. But God came along and said, no, 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 no more. No more escalating violence. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We have every single right. It is our God-given right to get even. But then along comes Jesus. And he says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, love your enemies. I say, forgive those who seek to harm you. I say, be kind to those who are unkind to you. I talk about forgiveness so much because it is the it is the one single thing, it is the one single thing that separates Christianity from everyone else. From everyone else. In the first century, forgiveness was seen as a weakness. Forgiveness was seen as a weakness. Someone who forgave others during Jesus' time was seen as incredibly weak. In fact, 
somewhat even morally weak. Does this sound familiar to anyone else in this cancel culture age? To forgive others in our culture is a sign of weakness. You've got to stand up for what is right. You've got to stand up for yourself. If someone calls you a name on Twitter, oh, you come after them and you make sure that they are canceled. Isn't that what's going on in our culture? But as Christians, we are called to forgive. It's, it, it's what must be the flavor of our lives is forgiveness. I'll be, I'll be honest. You can find love other places. You can find um, reconciliation in some, some sense, I think, in our, in our culture. You can find, there are lots of things that you can find in our culture and really being taught by our culture. What you don't find in our culture is this understanding of forgiveness. We are called to forgive. We are called to forgive. We are called to give up that right that we have to get even. We're not called to necessarily forget. We're not called to necessarily say, "Eh, you know, it's okay. No, we're called to give up the right to get even. If we're going to have the kinds of families... If we're going to have the kinds of family relationships that God wants us to have, and when there is conflict in those families, again, there are no easy answers. These things are not easy. Forgiving others is not easy. They've said bad things about us. They've done hurtful things to us, but we are still called to forgive. It's the high calling. It's the high calling that we have in Jesus Christ. It's how we live our public lives Oh, we extend forgiveness time and again. Oh, we build up our co-workers time and again. But when we get home, we often don't live that way. Sisters and brothers in Christ, if we are going to have the kind of families that God wants us to have, if we are going to have the kind of families that God is calling us to have, we must live, we must live into these words to build one another up, to not sin in our anger, to offer, extend, and live in forgiveness. Would you bow with me?